the Arsenal Therapy Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Arsenal Therapy Podcast. My name is Farhan, also known as Gunner since 96. And you join us here from, from wherever you are at whatever time um, on a monumentous occasion for a number of different reasons. But this happens to be um, kind of the, the, the curtain closer uh, of the double digit era. And what I mean by that is this is episode 99 um, of the Arsenal Therapy Podcast. And wow, like I haven't, I, I, I haven't really digested the fact that we'd be here recording episode 99 um, on our way to episode 100. Um, it's a bit of a strange feeling. Uh, it's, it's almost similar to how, uh, you know, when Arsenal left Highbury and um, played their last game. Thierry scoring that hat trick, kissing the ground, and then all this excitement. No one really know what to expect. Being promised a hell of a lot when we move to the Emirates. Hopefully, we can deliver this, uh, deliver the same. And of course, joining me this evening, I've got Monty. Uh, Monty, how are you doing? Um, I don't know whether you were aware of the fact that we were recording episode ninety nine, but how are you? doing on this really crazy kind of accomplishment i could say i guess you could say yeah no definitely it's accomplishment um yeah no mate i'm good i'm good uh thank you for asking um i'm just i'm just oh, i'm at angst i just want the season to start uh, honestly like my weekends like we did the pre-season tour now just 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 crack on do you know what i mean time I've, to like, really get down to business yeah literally i'm just buzzing but yeah no i'm good thank you for asking yourself Wicked. Yeah, no, I'm I'm really, really good. Um, I'm actually grossly underprepared. I'm, I'm usually quite good. Um, but today, for whatever reason, I am... V- in fact, this whole week has been quite shambolic. And obviously, we'll get we'll get into it um, a, lot, a lot more. But um, yeah, like uh, my notes are kind of a, a bit all over the place. I haven't really structured the show really well. I haven't really got a good introduction for, for um, you guys. Uh, I'm still working on that, by the way. Hopefully, by episode 100, we will get there. I can't believe I'm going to say this, but James... Is here with us as well. Hello, James. How are you doing? Hello, how are you doing? <laughs> Very how well, man. Doing? How are you? Oh, all right, oh no. Man. I'm all right. I'm tired, but I'm all right. Um, what if it, is this? Oh, am I gone? You, are you lagging no, a little bit, gone? but you're fine. You're fine. All right. Okay. Okay. I don't know what's going on, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I'm I'm okay. I, I'm like Monty. I just want the season to start now. Uh, I've been busy, so I haven't really looked at anything or uh, looked at any transfer speculation today. So it'll be good to get into some news if we have any. And yeah, just looking forward to the, the season now. Yeah, I think it's, we're at a stage now, aren't we? Where like the excitement has died down a tiny bit. Um, we're, we're, it's kind of like a uh, a a what's what's the saying? Uh, the calm before the storm. But this is like the calm, the the calm calm before the storm, or the calm before the storm storm. Because you've got the beginning of the transfer season, and then you always got the beginning of the the, the actual season where, where where you play the first game, and you know we're like what a week away, something like that, um, and yeah, everyone's really just kind of waiting around, just waiting for something drastic, either to, a transfer news to happen or just the day to come where we actually play. Um, so yeah, really exciting stuff. We're obviously going to get into a lot of that, uh, but we've also got a very special guest. And obviously being episode 99, we had to do something a little bit special. Um, and so we've invited on a very special guest and his name is Stuart James Quigley. I don't know what he, uh, he prefers to be called. In fact, I've let, I've left it all down to him to kind of introduce himself, tell us about a little bit about who he is. Monty and James don't have a clue, I don't think, anyway. So, Stuart, 
the mic is yours. Tell us who you are, what you do, and you know what what to expect from you in this episode. Well, first of all, I'd like to say that it's an absolute pleasure to be on such a momentous episode ninety nine. What a way to bow out! What a way to go into this new century for episodes of this podcast. And um, as you said, my name is Stuart James Quigley. I have been writing about football and I'm just a lover of football. Uh, maybe um, not necessarily of the Arsenal variety, but however, I have uh, just released a book. There's a book come out. Uh, it's called Cornerstone Collection and Arsenal and the history of Arsenal Football Club within the Premier League confines is such a key vital part of that, that I was so excited to get the invitation to come on this podcast and just just chat about football, chat about the upcoming season and about all the Arsenal legends and players that there are, including one that you wouldn't have thought up until about a week ago, but you've managed to slide another, like I think there were six Arsenal players in the book, but now there's a seventh because someone's made a transfer over the last two weeks. So you've managed to get an extra player in there as well. And uh, I'm so excited, lads. Thanks for having us on. Absolutely. No, look, the pleasure is ours. Um, we are super excited and honoured mm. to have um, a writer on the show. I mean, we love our writers. Uh, we've had a number of different bloggers and uh, reporters, but it's really nice to have, um, I'm assuming you're an independent writer. So, um, you know, this is something that is, that's something you've been working on for a while, but something that you've, you know, that's that's finally taken off. Um, um, and actually, it's interesting to see the, 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 the chapter list that you've sent me is, um, well, all of them are players. So, it's, it, I mean, all the chapters in the book, I'm assuming, are based on players, right? Yeah, it's there have been 50 different clubs in Premier League history that have played either one season or, in Arsenal's case, all of them. And this book covers every single one of those 50 clubs via 45 different players. Each chapter is a player, and it will cover an issue, a club, a particular period of time, uh, an evolution of a particular position, or just some dramatic things that happened, but it covers so it like it's the most comprehensive um, collection of players and stories that you could get in terms of the Premier League history from the last thirty years. And, and as I said, Arsenal is such a big part of that. Absolutely, absolutely. And look, you know, I'm really excited to be, um, you know, talking about your your book and maybe uh, reading little excerpts here and there as as the show goes on. I'm sure you will give us um, the, the 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 lowdown on your opinion on you know certain players and um, just out of interest, actually, what team do you support? Are you ready to just kick me off the pod? Yes, Liverpool. Oh. That's not too bad. I mean, I was, yeah. I was expecting even like United or Spurs yeah. or even like West Ham or something like that. No, West Ham's not too bad. I mean, I don't mind, but it's because, you know, I predominantly live in an area where there are a lot of West Ham fans. So, um, but yeah, Liverpool, I mean, you guys are having quite a good few years. You ready for the we're decline? Okay. We're doing okay. We, we, we are enjoying what I would call probably the best football I'll ever see in my entire life. So we're doing mm. a lot. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm intrigued just about, just about the book. I'm intrigued to see what uh, what's in there about the... Uh, Oldham's little, little stint and uh, at Wimbledon as well. That'd be interesting to read. Mm, well, I guess Stuart's going to keep us waiting. Um, but, you know, like I said, near the end of the pod, we'll give you more information about um, where you can find Stuart's book and um, yeah, the rest of that stuff. But let's talk about the Arsenal and let's discuss two games that uh, believe it or not, I've been played since the last episode. So um, I don't know what you want to start off. I think the 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 the, the more relevant game would be the Chelsea game, um, which, believe it or not, 
I didn't watch. My God, what? What, what did he just say? Oh. It's crazy. It's like, guys, this week has been the strangest week in a very long time. I was waiting for the game. I thought it would be um, played at 1 a.m. It wasn't. It was at 2 a.m. Is that right? Am I right? It was 2 a.m., right? Kickoff? No, it was one about one. I think it got delayed like 30 minutes. I think. Okay. So, what? I mean, it must have been 12 a.m. then and kickoff was at 1, 1.30 a.m. Yeah, because um, it was scheduled at one, but I think got pushed back a little bit. And then yeah. the Orlando one got pushed back because there was actually I mean, like... Yeah, the still. Orlando one was just ridiculous. And I managed to stay up for that one, but I can barely remember it because I think I was just in and out of sleep. And so I think mm. after this experience, I've got so much respect for fans um, abroad who wake up, dedicate their time to watch Arsenal, like fully actually consume the games as well. Uh, but I couldn't do it, man. The last few games were just really, really tough. But anyway, let's, I'm hoping you guys watch the game or I'll you guys watch. have lots to say about it um, because I won't be saying much about it. But Monty, let's start you off. Arsenal 4, uh, Chelsea nil. Oh my God. Oh, mate, it was, do you know what the worst thing is? Is I wasn't even surprised. Um, and to, to know why I think that is, and I think the now I know it's a preseason game, so I'm not going to go. Oh, we beat Chelsea. We're going to become. We're going to finish second or third. Like that's, I'm not. I'm not. I'm just not going to do that. Mm. But um, I think the the most positive thing about the whole game was the approach to it, mm. and the, the the clear plan, and the fact that Sinchenko had like one thirty minute session, came on for forty five minutes, and was absolute stellar. Like he was, he was, he was just unreal. Um, and I think the main thing was just, was just the way that they did, they, they hustled. Like the, Chelsea just did, they just did not expect that. Like they, they were getting disrupted right at their back line uh, from our press. And it was just really good to see. And the way that even like Xhaka and Party were just completely dominating midfield. And that was just evident because Sinchenko was basically acting as like a left wing, left mid, which basically meant Party and Xhaka could could solely remain in the middle and they didn't have to deviate and switch, uh, which was just perfect. And it made it, we completely dominated the the midfield and they they couldn't get past us for all, I think they didn't even really get an, a, a good attempt for at least thirty minutes. Mm. Um, and it was really positive to see, honestly. Like the game, the game was brilliant. The passing patterns and were just phenomenal. Jesus is he's he is that guy. Like he's that guy. Um, the the only down thing I w- I would put on the whole performance for me was um, I feel like Saka uh, mm. could have done better. Like, I feel like he could have done better. That's not a, a, a dig at him. That's not to say he's not good. I just feel like he should have capitalised on the opportunity Gabriel Martinelli gave him. First fifth minute. Um, yeah, that would. It was just you had that guy had to go in the go in the net, either cross it back across to Gabby or score it yourself. Mm. I think he should have just done better. Um, but we'll get there. We'll get there. But in terms of the game itself, oh, it was phenomenal. It was actually phenomenal from the boys. And I mean, Chelsea had no answer. They, yeah. they just, they they couldn't get comfortable. We were just constantly on them. Erdegaard was just beautiful to watch. Like his passing patterns, his little flicks. His, mm-hmm. And and what I've noticed, and, it, and I don't think I've, I've seen an Arsenal have this sort of cohesion since 08. Mm. Do you know what I mean? They're genuinely like... It was one touch when they could. It was one touch. It was almost Wenger-esque. Yeah. Um. And it was it was one two touch max. 
Um, and it was evident with the Gabriel Martinelli when he got it. He just right, he just literally went north south, run it up. It was two and one, flicked it across straight to Saka. Saka just run up. He missed the opportunity, but no, it's a very positive game. It's a very positive game. Now I get it; it's a preseason, so I'm not gonna say, "Oh, we're gonna win the league." But there was other positives. There was Saliba, who was just phenomenal. He hasn't he let this whole preseason. He's played what 192 minutes across three games. And he hasn't conceded a single goal. Mm. Um, well, he kept he has, 22 clean sheets last season. Um, yeah, I know. That's what, so, yeah, that's what I mean. He's he's, he's unbelievable. His 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 take on uh, um, uh, completion rate is 100. He hasn't missed one, which is just ridiculous. I mean, he oh, he's he's something else, isn't he? He's 21 years old. Mm. It's the frame of Van Dyke. Now, yeah. I don't think he is Virgil Van Dyke. I mean, that's very audacious to say because he's probably the best centre back in the world by far. Yeah. Um, but I think Saliba's on course though to become we, that. Yeah. I would very much say that, and I'd I'd actually be interested to see what like Stuart says about it because, I mean, you you watch Virgil Virgil every day and every game, so I don't know if you've seen much of Saliba, but I'd love to get the sort of uh, what you see on him and do you see similarities because I do like in terms of the, the just the sheer power and the positioning, and that's the one thing I think Virgil made it what made him so good. He was a physical beast, but he was actually extremely smart in the way that he does things um and it's the he, he even though he's not necessarily the fastest center back he he just knows as long as they're outside it doesn't matter so he'll just constantly push them out push push them out push them out and that was just what Saliba was doing just snuffed out any any sort of opportunity that came in his way so it was really positive to see it was really positive to see the cohesion was lovely and mm. I think if we carry this on to the start of the season with our first eight games we could we could potentially win I'd, I'd love to say a clean sweep, but I, I highly doubt it. But the big test against Palace will be sort of uh, an inkling to where our season's going to go. But if we can win those games, we're we're, we're looking good. We're looking good. That yeah. Be my uh, and look, Stuart, he makes a very good point. Um, the Arsenal are looking very, very um, dynamic in the final third. They're looking very organised at the back at the minute. Uh, when you're looking at the depth that we've got in our centre back pairing, we can switch from a three to a, from sorry from a two to a three. Um, we can get midfielders who can tuck in as almost you know central defensive midfielders slash centre backs, um, full backs that are you know can 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 play as wingers at times. It it it. And it's strange that we've got a Liverpool fan on here because I feel like the transformation has been very similar and that that, that kind of route of um, regenerating where, you know, Klopp came in and he adopted that squad and, you know, turned it to what it is now. Arteta is following that same formula, I guess, if you if you could call it that. Um, and, and we're seeing the fruits of that kind of patient labour. Um, but how, how do you assess... Sort of, or how how did you assess uh, the clips that you saw of Arsenal's four 0 victory against Chelsea? I think the thing that impresses me the most when you look at not just the result, because obviously the result, both it being preseason and so emphatic, and also there's a tendency to just go, oh, it was all Chelsea, they're terrible, it's the end of the world, they're going to get relegated, but. The thing that impresses me within that is the flexibility within the players that you have and the ability to not just play with a very good setup now and a team that, you know, I think um, obviously with Ben White and with uh, Ramsdale last season, there was 
and, and with the young players that have already come through, Saka and Smith Rowe, and that there's there's a there's a spine being sort of built in progress. And now you've got um, the players that have been brought in. Obviously, that forward line, Martinelli, Jesus, that looks tasty in and of itself. But like you've got so much in midfield and so many options in midfield, and what Zinchenko adds to that. And I think Ben White played right back at some point during this game as well. And yeah. it just mm-hmm. in, the, in the Premier League, what you have to do more often than not is react to different situations that the manager can't possibly see coming. And what Arsenal can do with these players is they can not only react, but they can cause problems to other teams that they might not necessarily see. And I think Arsenal sides over the last 10 years, when I say predictable, I don't mean predictable in the sense that they're not good or they're not great or they can't move through the gears and score, but you kind of know what you're going to get. Whereas with this depth and these many options, you can pose questions, especially like the Zinchenko piece of it is is key to, for me. But like you can do things that people won't see coming, and that's very very good for the Premier League. Yeah, and I think that is where the future is headed for the Premier League because uh, you know the you know Wenger came uh, in '96 and transformed the way football was watched and the way that I think more importantly football club was run. Um, since then, Premier League football clubs have you know adopted that framework, um, and then since then we've seen a, a, a new framework come in with you know the the Pep uh, versus. Um, Wow, why is Klopp? Sorry, <laughs> I went blank there for a minute. How can I forget such a, a great manager's name? Uh, Pep versus Klopp uh, rivalry. Um, and now we're seeing this really interesting kind of tactical nous in the game where fans are taking a really keen interest on the way that the game is being placed, almost like a chessboard where you have a number of different positions that can almost play as a, almost invent their own position because they're so experienced in so many different areas of the pitch. It's not as if, you know, we are looking for uh, an out and out centre back or an out and out central midfielder or just a, you know, a number nine. It's players who know how to play the game rather than be good at playing football. It's players who can imagine the football pitch from a bird's eye view and just move with it, you know, as if they're on autopilot. And that for me is really, really like the excitement within me for this season to start. I haven't felt this in a very long, I don't think, I don't think I've ever felt this if I'm being honest with you guys. I don't know how you guys are feeling about the, um, the start of the season, but th- this preseason that we've had followed by the signings, but also more importantly, what we've been told um, as fans by the, the, the upper echelons, by the execs, um, it's, it's all the right things. And there haven't been many hiccups, if any. Um, James, I don't know how much of the game that you watched, um, but 4-0 against, you know, uh, let's, let's be honest, a, a credible Premier League opposition, despite it being a friendly, I think both teams did treat it like, you know, a proper football match that they both wanted to win. Um, and it's not to say that, you know, Chelsea were playing their B team or Arsenal were playing their B team. It was both teams who were playing a pretty decent squad and they wanted to they wanted to make a statement before uh, the season starts. And I think more importantly, these games are taken for uh, morale boosting purposes or um, for the purpose of just having that 
quick start. You know, you know, you know, when you go to Fort Park, you have the the normal line, you have the fast track line. Yeah. I, I, sometimes I see um, these preseason games as kind of, you know, that opportunity to take fast track or to take the normal line, because by the time you start the first game of the season, you want to be, you know, yeah. up and running. Um, so give us sort of your evaluation and something you took away from that game. Um, sorry, I just had to nip out, but I, because I uh, did the thing on my clothes on my tabs. Um, <laughs> I only watched the first half of the game. Well, that's um, more than me. After, so. that, after that, I fell asleep. Um, I woke up with the phone next to me, which means I fell asleep while watching the game. So, <laughs> yeah, I, um, I, I saw something in that Arsenal team that I haven't seen for a long while. Um, and that is just... We, we 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 didn't let them have the ball. <laughs> I've not seen I've not seen an Arsenal team in a long time not let a team have the ball that much. Chelsea were were struggling. Uh, you can only see what uh, Thomas Tuchel said uh, in his press conference, which which uh, he said uh, um, we got outplayed by a team that's not in the Champions League. <laughs> and I know that it's very, very um, it's very funny to hear two shelves say that and that were a bit shady. Um, but we played really well against Chelsea, considering they just signed Sterling and, and, and things like that and they're, they're under new owners and, and you want them to they want to be playing really, really good football. And they're in America. They're in they're in their new their new owners' home effectively. So they their owner would have been there. And we absolutely dominated them. Um Jesus is just Absolutely fantastic. Um, I've seen comparisons to Alexis Sanchez at, at Arsenal and comparing them two together. And I, I agree. I think um, I've not seen a striker start this well since probably Alexis. I know Aubameyang started quite well, um, but not 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 like this. This is. I know. It's, I know it's preseason, and we have to keep our opinions in check. But um, I've not seen. A striker that hungry and that that eager to uh, impress because um, he's got he's got to impress us and he's got to impress the Brazil national team because he wants his World Cup place. Mm. So yeah, I, I'm, I was really happy with what I saw. And Monty, um, you know, we witnessed a, a great game against Chelsea, but the you know a few days before that, the game against Orlando City, I don't think there was much that we can you know rave about other than the result. Um, it was a great start. Uh, Gabby Martinelli with a deflected attempt that you know hit, went into the back of the net, but then after that it kind of all went a bit flat. Um, and and this is this is the problem that I've got with Arsenal, right? And I think as fans, it puts us in a difficult position to make um, claims or to to I don't know make predictions or you know when you you get that feeling. For example, Stuart as a Liverpool fan, you know that for the past three seasons, you know that Liverpool are there to challenge. You know that, you know, they're going to be picking up 80 to 90 points a season. There's no doubt when you've got Mane, well, not anymore, but when you had Mane, you had Salah and Firmino and the depth that you had. Yota. Yota. Yeah, so but, but you know, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, I just, I just, just before you say that, though, I would like to point out that within that, there is a little bit of following the back of... Um, losing the first Champions League final to Real Madrid and losing the league to Manchester City a couple of years ago, mm. there was, can they go again? Mm. And then there was the COVID stuff. And obviously you won't be on top of this, and, and nor should you be because it's media bollocks, but there were predictions from, I wouldn't say esteemed pundits because they're definitely not, but like but there were people suggesting that we'd struggle to make top four last year. 
So this is why you have to like gauge preseason in a very different realm to, to everything. Because even for like you just said, we should be looking at this, and it's just like people can look from the outside in and see it very differently than you see it. And and I'll give you a perfect example of like last season. We knew that we'd be better than we were by virtue of the fact that we wouldn't have our eighth and ninth choice centre halves playing. Where that takes us, you don't know, but you just have to get on a. a, a, a but a, a, like a, a steady footing of like, I know what this team is capable of and where the ceiling is and where the ground floor is. And the ground floor could be anything. If, if things go wrong, you, you can't possibly know. But where the ceiling is, that's where you can be at your very best. And that's where you can maybe get a bit carried away in preseason. But like as fans, you want to see that ceiling. You want to at least glimpse upwards rather than think, oh, no, what's going to happen this season? It's the hope that gets you. It's the hope that carries you forward into that first game. Mm. Yeah, and so like uh, the point that I was making is, you know, uh, uh, for example, as an outsider, as an Arsenal fan, go, uh, let's say last season, you know, I knew it will be Liverpool City. I knew that those two will be going head to head. But as an Arsenal fan, I don't know what other fans, you know, think of this, but as an Arsenal fan, you just can't make a definitive prediction because they've got they've got such polar opposite like attitudes and but I don't know maybe it's a bipolar thing for like a mental bipolar thing but they're capable of displaying some of the most incredible performances when they need to but in other occasions and I think this was um what bit us last season was not doing it when it mattered and not seeing games through professionally Um, and this one against Orlando FC was a bit of a surprise for me I expected Arsenal to go again all out um, just dogged and just dominant but they struggled to find the pace for whatever reason especially after that first goal and they've got a tendency of doing this where they score the first goal and they sit off a little bit the tempo dies down Uh, it very well might be a, a mental thing but um, I'm hoping that they do get past that hurdle because I think that is what makes the difference between a very good team and a great team. Um, so Monty, um, that first half, you know, against Orlando FC, I don't know how much you watched of it, um, but give us sort well, of... I watched a, the whole game. Okay, so g- g- give me your like um, outlook on on why maybe we've got these this conflicting sides of Arsenal. Well, I wouldn't say it's conflicting sides. You just have to look at the lineup we had when we started. We had Sambi Laconga at, at 10. We had Ainsley Maitley Niles at 8, left centre mid. We had El Nenny as a holding midfielder, mm. holding Amari Tavares and Cedric as a back line. Mm. We had Pepe and Ketia Martinelli. So yeah. there's v- your Just answer. very quickly, very quickly. Um, all, I mean, you mentioned that squad and I guess, yes, that's an Arsenal B team. Uh, but next season... Arsenal will be playing their B team in different competitions, especially the Europa League, which is one that Arsenal and many of the players want to win desperately. So um, just putting that yeah, point no, definitely. I know, definitely. I think in terms of the B team, the, the in terms of going forward, we weren't actually that bad um, watching the game. like We transitioned well, we passed well. The only reason Orlando uh, was able to upset us is because we played such a high line. Mm. And unlike having Gabriel and Saliba or White, who are really tactically clever and understand that you 
can't let a, a player in inside of you. We had Mari who got absolutely destroyed and Tavares who was well out of position. So they used yeah. the, um, Alexander Pato uh, just kept putting uh, balls forward for Torres. Um, and I think it was their their centre-back, Janssen, I think it was, uh, was putting it through to Mikel. I can't remember what his name was. Uh, Benji, Mikel, son of that, Michelle, Mikel. But he was like just putting Mari on strings. Like he was putting Mari on strings. So I think that's definitely one to take away from it. Um and I think the only issue is just because is it's it's not necessarily like the player's skill because Pablo Mari, if you actually watched him at Udinese last year, he was mm. actually a decent centre back. But the difference is is he was invested there. Um and we saw a difference in Pepe as well in the Chelsea game. Like he he looked more hungry and we've seen him post uh, recently that he's now committed. It's it's about if you if you apply yourself to the game plan, then you you don't become the weird that the the odd cog out of the system because if you do your job, yeah, someone like and and if if you, you you're pressing on one guy right and you might not necessarily get the ball, you pressing him has rushed him, meaning he then has to rush the ball to someone else and someone else is doing their job so they'll cover it. So and and it's and you said an interesting point. You said about how. Uh, sort of the, the the change of football and it's going to a modern sort of style and it's it's interesting because I was doing some reading actually the other day um, and it was more about sort of like modern football and stuff and it's not necessarily modern I don't think it's more Ajax in the 1970s yes. oh my god I was just thinking that the, yeah with the total football mm. um, but now we actually have one the fitness do we actually have like the game like the the gyms the physios the science behind it which allows the players to be able to do total football and for those who don't know what total football is it technically means that if someone goes out of position someone will fill it up mm-hmm. uh who's out of position and and that it can work around the whole team and if i'm not mistaken i believe ajax implementing that system where Johan Cruyff went 46 games undefeated at home over two seasons and won a Champions League in, in, in the running as well. So yeah, I, I would say we're going sort of back to that because it it's, but now we have the, 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 um, the resources to do so. And it's going to be interesting going forward. Now it's a case of picking out the weeds and who is actually, actually applied to the game. Uh, and we saw that on some of the cases. So uh, Ainsley Maitland-Niles, he's not he's just not it he's he, he wasn't quite there uh pepe I, I can't even knock him because he actually did he tried he actually tried he, he was closing down he pressed which was which was good um and then with pablo mari he's 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 just not he's just not i just i can't try i can't trust him as my left back as my left center back i can't do it and then when when we saw the second half come out come out uh and then i believe i'm trying to who the subs were it was Hector Bellerin came on for Cedric Ben White for Holding Gabriel for Marvry we had um, I'm trying to think who came in that's left back actually um, I don't I'm not actually too sure who it was I think maybe, no yeah we went to a back three that was it went to a back three so that's why we didn't have the left back um, and then yeah we had sort of um, oh no we did we had William Sleeper come in yeah so William Sleeper Gabriel Ben White uh, as as the three, and then we had, um, I believe it was uh, Martinelli who stayed out there. But yeah, and we had Saka, Martinelli, because we had our starters come on. And in the second half, mate, we completely dominated. They they they, they didn't even stand a chance. Um, and it's just like I said, the application, the players were on the same page. Um, they were able to, do, and it was li- literally like what Liverpool do. 
Um, they know where the player is before they've even got the ball. So they, they already know that they need to sort of chip the ball into the midfield, uh, in right into the center from the wing, because they know they've got three players bearing down them on the wing to close down. And all he's got to do is chip it over the top. And I mean, Liverpool do it all the time. They, they would go, I don't know, to Milner on the left and he would just knock it over to Fabinho, who's wide open in the center circle. And he's just there and he's just got the whole the whole pitch to himself and he just runs up field and then Neto will, will carry on that run um on uh, no Neto. Uh Giotto will carry on the run on the left and you'd have uh Salah on the right. And it, yeah, it just, that that's what we were starting to see. We we're starting to see that more um that sort of football. And it and it's good to see. It's good to see. And Orlando, well, yeah, they saw they they finally met class and they couldn't quite keep up with it. And effectively, mm. that's that's basically what happened. Mm. And James, again, you know, this is a problem that we saw quite a lot last season where uh, when it mattered most or not necessarily mattered most when it when when Arsenal needed to get the job done, they weren't able to for, you know, whatever reasons. And mm-hmm. um, I think most of it, you know, Monty made the point that it's down to not having the right players on the pitch um, and not having the strongest start in 11. But we know that we're not going to see the strongest start in 11 um, playing week in, week out, because that's just not practical. And it's, I don't think it's much, I don't think it's possible in this uh, day and age where football is uh, played at such an intense level. So, you know, going into next season, how do Arsenal fix this issue where, you know, you've got one team who is, you know, playing at such an incredible pace, um, delivering on, you know, maybe, maybe it's, it's not reasonable to expect the, the, the level of quality, but at least the application we want to see, right? The same level of, 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 of application. So um, what do you think they can do differently going into next season, especially with the Europa League um, and the number of games that are just going to be played because of the Winter World Cup? Well, you know what? What might happen is you might see... Um Arteta's taking his time to build his first team the way he wants it. Uh, like the Gabriel Jesus and Zinchenko come in. And then in a few transfer windows time, you know, you may see little subtle improvements to the B team. I don't know, by signing, uh, you know, a, like an older player, but an established player that won't play every game um, because he, he's declining in his career and he's not, you know, he's not at the, at the highest level, but can still do a job for the B team. Because um, right right now we're, we're being compared to Manchester City's B team in our first team. Um, but, you know, I think Arteta has the, the ability to make two teams if he wants to. He can, obviously, he's spending time on the first team. But if in transfer window, in, in, in maybe January, he wants to add uh, a veteran to the to the squad that will help the, the, the second team, then... I think that's good, but also you could also think about getting getting them both on the same page with the same mentality. Maybe I don't know the same. You you think they'd all be training the same way, um, the way that Mikel wants wants them to. So they should have the same mentality. But whatever team they're playing and whatever team they're a part of, on what in whatever competition they're a part of, because the Europa League is, I, I would say, the biggest. This is probably our best chance to win the Europa League with the with the players we have. Um, so I think we need to, we need to go, we need to go for it. Mm. Uh, and, and if we don't, I said it, at the, I said it, at the, I said it at the start of the season. I think if we don't get top four for whatever reason this season, I think, um, you know, you know where the, you know, the, you know where the door is. And I've been, I've been so, I have been so, after, I used to get, no, I didn't get abused, but I used to get so much stick for 
my my you know trust in our tennis and oh he's not the right person with the job da, 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 da. and I was I just kept saying stick with him stick with him stick with him and we've got to this point and this feels like a very poignant moment in in the Arsenal career of Mikel Arteta because if he doesn't get it right this time then I think um, I think it's curtains mm. um, because 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 of the amount of money he spent and because of uh, I think we're the aren't we the highest. Transfer, High spenders, uh, yeah, spend- I believe so. Uh, how much we spent? Well, 121 mil, 121.5. We're the highest spenders in Europe. Um, and we've just bought in Gabriel Jesus. And he, and he, yes, he started well, but if, 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 if for whatever reason he doesn't hit the ground running in the season, we're in big, big trouble. Um, so we got we got to get it right this season. And look, you know, Stuart, I I might be a little bit unfair, maybe to 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 the boys who went out there to play Orlando, um, because it was, you know, essentially a, a pre-match friendly. So maybe I shouldn't expect um, as much. Maybe you know, we should we should look at this from a bird's eye view and see it as a as a way of maybe testing different systems and seeing uh what players play m- most comfortably um in in their positions but what do you think Arteta would have learned the, the single most important thing what do you think his, his big takeaway would have been from this um pre-season tour in, in, in the US because not only have they made you know quite a big chunk of change but um they've they've actually had a season a pre-season where they've managed to prepare themselves unlike you know the previous two uh where we we had some excuses because you know the first one being covid the second one being covid again but this time um just the players being um you know unfortunately un- un- unavailable to start uh, the season um the way that they wanted to uh, but finally we've we've had a pre-season properly so um yeah what do you think his, his biggest takeaway is going to be from this the cliched answer would be to really drill it down into just what the manager would say match fitness i want players to play in certain ways but ultimately all that matters is they've got 45 minutes under the belt here and there there will be a couple of players in and around the peripheries that have the opportunity to because one of the things that's really interesting about this particular preseason for arsenal is that american Pre-seasons, especially you mentioned as well, like um, with the fan base, like Arsenal fan base, yourselves watching it at awkward times in the morning. I, I've noticed it when we play um, in America and it, it's just, it feels a bit disconnected because of the time difference. Mm. You don't feel like you can get that momentum that like we've been playing um, in Singapore and the games have been played at like midday, two o'clock. And while they're not perfect times, there's still times where I'm used to watching us play. And so with the transfers that you've made and the and I don't mean to absolutely slam them, but like why not? Well, Everton managed to trip up against an MLS team and get banged. And obviously you don't care about the results, quote unquote, but the Orlando performance, whatever it may be, still reads Arsenal victory. And there's Pieces of the puzzle. And I always like to think about preseason as well. It's like it's maybe not a Rubik's Cube, but like a Rubik's Cube where whatever move you make, it makes a move back in return because players can get injured. You can get people brought in that like have good reputations that don't hit the ground running. And then everyone's like, oh, how terrible is he? Like all the Nunes stuff about how awful he's going to be. And if you go back and look, Torres didn't exactly have the greatest of preseasons mm-hmm. when he joined Liverpool. But all in all, you want to build that momentum, that good feeling of 
Yes, we're getting these players in. Yes, we're building in the right direction. The squad looks good. We're ready to go. At the start of this podcast, we're all talking about how like ready for the season we are. That's what you want. And while the difference between what Arteta will feel and what fans will feel, it's still very much everyone on the same page. That's that's the best way to go about trying to hit the ground running in a season that's going to be the ultimate sprint to the well, I'll say the finish. It's a sprint to November, then see where we are, and then it's a sprint after that. Mm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, because at the end of the day, um, you know, you, you can have the as, as as good of a preparation as you possibly can, but until you can do it when it matters, it doesn't really. Sh- there's nothing to show for it, really. Um, but uh, Monty, look, I think I can speak for most fans. Um, you know, these boys are as ready as they're ever going to be uh, to play Palace on Friday. Um, Oh my God, is that next Friday? It's the week after. Okay, so it's, so it's not this Friday, it's next Friday, of course. All right, cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> let's <laughs> relax. Um, Monty, uh, I, I asked you um, what, what Arteta learned, uh, the single takeaway that he's, he's, he's learned from this preseason uh, tour. What do you think that we as fans have learned about Arsenal during this preseason? Um, in short, what we've learned as fans is there is a process. That, 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 that's, and the ones who didn't, I mean, I've always been Arteta in since the start because, I mean, the way he articulated himself, I was like, well, this guy clearly knows what he's doing. Mm. Um, so I've always backed him, but I think now he's finally converted those naysayers. There are still a weird group of people in there somewhere who just, just for some reason, they'll be, they'll be Arteta out to the day they die. Um, but I think he's now finally convinced the fans that there is a, that there is a process. And so is Edu as well. And um, it's something that, Eddie said in his interview that they're both very much mm-hmm. working on it. And I would agree with Stuart as well. And I would say momentum is the main thing because like you said, I mean, Everton failed. Uh, they they lost 4-0 to Minnesota. Chelsea lost as well. They drew 1-1 and lost some penalties. Um, I can't remember what team it was. Um, but yeah, it was one of an MLS team nonetheless. Um, and it's And it kind of reminded me of last season. I mean, uh, I believe it was last season we played Hiberian and um, was it Rangers? Or was it High? And we lost. We lost yeah, them I both. Yeah, it was, we? yeah. Yeah, we lost them both. And then we lost our first three games of the season. Uh, and if, if, if you look at last season's table, if we won those three games, we'd be in the Champions League. Mm-hmm. So that that was that's a huge that's a huge thing especially with our fixture list that's coming up I think it's massive and I think the biggest thing as well was the opportunity to actually get the players together now I think there were some sort of uh, there were some instances like Mr. Fro being injured um, which was wasn't good Vieira not being able to play yet which which is also doesn't but like it sucks a little bit um, and Tierney not being back yet but Zinchenko had been able to get on the pitch massive. He's he's already, and you could already see he's clicked. So I think that's the main thing was the one, the momentum uh, from the team side and the team feel. I mean, I don't know if, I, I can't speak for Liverpool shit, but I don't know if you've seen any of our marketing from the team, but the way that the, the club feels now is very, very different. Yeah. I mean, it's very different. I mean, they are so together now. Mm. Um, and I've not noticed it. I've not known noticed it for a long time because we've always had those sort of clicky. When they would do clips, it would always be like Abba, Laka, Pepe, mm-hmm. Gwendouzi mm-hmm. that, were, that were in a click. And then it would be like Tierney holding... Yeah, um, Chambers. 
chambers, yeah. yeah. And yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's it very clicky. But now it's like everyone's integrated with everyone. Everyone's meeting everyone. I mean, they brought out a fan in Frimpong to go out there with them. I mean, yeah. I love oh, Frimpong. it's brilliant. It's, it's, it's really good, good yeah. Mm. But it, it's very different now. And I, I, I don't know if that's something that Liverpool did and they had a change on as well. When, when you get a good team and a good vibe, that's when good results happen uh, because it's those players and that mentality that gets you out of a rut uh, and, and sort of pushes extra things. So I think as a fan base, we've learned there is a process and we should back our tower. Mm. Uh, and I think on the team side, the, the thing that they gained valuable is the momentum and the cohesion as a, as a club mm. from, from fan to staff to, to player to everything. And you know, also something else that's been really refreshing to see is um, the shameless level of ambition that they're showing. <laughs> and I yeah. say shameless is because right. it's 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 not, it's not it's very rare to for you know for for us fans to hear the manager, the director of football, uh, the players say that they want to achieve so much, and it feels because you you need to adopt to that winning mentality yeah, if you want to win, right? Uh, Sorry, what was that, mate? Monty, after Monty, I think he was trying to say something. Oh, no, sorry. Yeah, my audio completely oh. cut out. I didn't know if I was actually speaking. But no, I was saying, it definitely, we're Arsenal Football Club. We should be going going for titles, going for leagues, going for cups. And that's something Eddie said the whole time. Um and yeah, and I mean, they've always said it in all of their stuff that they said that last year was, a, it was, was to get the foundation, was to build a squad, to be ready, to be ready to go to that next step. And we did that. And they, they always said, we're challenging for titles at least. Challenge in 2023. That's, that, that was when we, they, they said that there would be a team that could, um, could upset. Mm. So now we've just got to, now we've just got to hope they follow through on their word and just wait and see. Yeah. And James, same question to you. Um, what did you take away from, from the preseason tour? What's the single most important thing or the single most surprising thing uh, that, that kind of you know raised your eyebrows a little bit? Um, I would say that I've never seen Arteta, but I've never seen Arteta this happy <laughs> I don't I don't know if I want to use the word happy but I've never seen him this determined to you can see you can see what it means to have his players that he's worked with before around him instantly you know that he means business when he signs these when he signs when he signs these sorts of players you only have to look at the Zinchenko when he met Zinchenko for the first time the smile on his face when he got Zinchenko over the line is ridiculous mm. you know and he, and he went that shirt looks good on you and he's like the, the togetherness within the the squad and the uh, and the camp is is brilliant right now, and I hope it continues into the season, and um and we we just we just hit the ground running because I can't be I cannot be asked for another season where we just lose the first two games, win a couple, and then it just it just ends up like it always has been. Um, obviously we've got the Emirates Cup uh, next, yeah. this week. Which for the first time in about five years I'm not going to, which is sad. Um, but what can you do when I'm now when I now live in the northeast? But I'll now I'll now look off look out look out for that Newcastle game again in May. <laughs> but yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to the, the season and hopefully um, we get the job done this season. And we got the documentary to look forward to. So yeah, yeah, um, wow. Which which what a trailer that was, man! What a trailer! Yeah, we're going to talk um, about that. Actually, we'll talk about that right at the end. I think it will. Get, I think that. I think that will change some opinions on Arteta as well. If there was anyone that said um, they are Arteta out and you don't like the squad, I think that that documentary will 
open some eyes, hopefully, because it does yeah. seem like a real, real good insight into our club and what, what we're about. So definitely, I want to see how he handles the uh, the the because like you said, James, everyone always says, "Oh, he can't handle personalities. He's too new. He's too much of a rookie." Well, we're going to find out, aren't we? You just saw snippets of you just saw snippets when he when he um, when he you know he got really angry at that time. Mm. In that trailer, and you just think, "Whoa!" Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, what was it? Uh, there was one when, when, uh, when you lose a jewel, you run, and then his his voice, his voice then sounded really pissed yeah, off. Fire and, in his belly. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, and they he showed, was talking Elmer Smith Rowe when they were bowling on you on the on the tour for God's sake. Do you know what I mean? Like it shows you how competitive he was. Literally trash talking Elmer Smith Rowe at bowling. Yeah, and you just see uh, the fact that they included. I'm just, I know we're talking about this at the end, but the fact that no, no, included, I mean we might as well just talk about it now. If we're going to talk about it. Let's do it. <laughs> no, the fact they included uh, the Nuno Tavares thing when he took them off in the first half, and then you just see Arteta's face. I mm. remember that moment. Mm. And if we get a dressing room snippet after that, I don't want to be on the end of that. Even even in the living room, I really don't want to be in that awkward situation. Mm. Um, but and and the biggest one of all is uh, I think the Aubameyang captain situation. Yeah. We'll finally find that. We'll finally find out what went on in that in that um, that Aubameyang and Arteta rivalry because oh, it's 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 going to be tasty. Yeah, it well, definitely I, is. Did, did any of you see Edu's interview today uh, with with uh, Athletic? And he literally basically spoke about sort of Urzil and Aubameyang sort of loosely um, and was along the lines of saying like, when you know you've got a problem, you need to get it out the club. Mm. Uh, and he basically talked about reducing the wage bill. Um, and he was like, so yeah, the quote was, to be fair, my first thoughts were about the quality of the squad and I have to be aware of salaries. But I started thinking this player is not the profile that I want. Mm. And when they have a big salary, you have to take the decision as soon as possible to reduce the wage bill. Um, and that was when they started talking about um, sort of cutting the contracts loose and, and paying. And they said, it's an investment. Do it, do it now. Get him, Just get it out of the club. And then we can then move forward. Yeah, so. I mean, that's super interesting. And, and I think it, it really is just, uh, it's something that all fans have really known, to be honest, since that like situation that happened with Ozil and Aubameyang. Like, you know, we as fans knew they're on too much money, clearly. Um, their le- level of motivation must have dipped um, because the only factors that have changed since, you know, before the contract and the new contract is that, is the new contract. So um, it'll, be, it'll be a lot more interesting to see actually how these things kind of, you know, uh, to see it live, you know the 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 change um, in that person. But that's something else the club have done absolutely incredibly well this this summer and last summer, bringing in the right profile players. And I think those signings have um, had a knock on effect on the culture, the way that you know the players view the club. The and it's and you know it trickles its way down to the fans. I think we as fans now have a lot more respect for the ongoings at Arsenal Football Club and, you know, I guess we, we, we trust them a little bit more compared to, you know, the era of Sanyehi um, and and Gazidas, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Stuart, um, did you manage to have a have a watch of the trailer? Um, and if not, I mean, are you going to be, uh, are you going to be watching it when it comes out? This is the thing about this kind of documentary in general is that when it has previously in any sort of form, not necessarily the all-nor thing, but like Sunderland, Spurs, uh, Man City to a certain degree, there are moments that you know that happened and people go, like the Vulture Circle, and you're like, oh, I want to watch that. And and Arsenal like, are 
a very sort of pertinent fan base or a club rather where the opposition fans will like you know all the quotes all the things whenever Arsenal lose a big game it's like oh man I can't wait to see what the Arsenal fans how they melt down here and I do feel like there is a certain sense of that but as the trailers have got more and more or as we've got closer to the actual documentary being shown I feel like there's been an almost a flip in terms of the interest from Arsenal fans has gone up as we've got closer, especially considering what the context and what the content is going to be rather. Uh, and, the, and the sort of the vulture as uh, like the picking of the bones of that from rival fans has maybe gone down a little. I don't know if you've, you've got a sense of that for, for me um, it's interesting to watch the behind the scenes stuff just purely because you don't get to see that kind of access yeah. like previously, but it, it's, it's the captaincy angle is fascinating because of how public it seemed and how much there is still to be revealed there. Um, and obviously, the toward the tail end of that season, I'm interested to see his reactions, but not in a sort of uh, really sort of vicious, uh, vociferous, nasty kind of way. But I am definitely going to check it out because, like I said, that kind of access is is just incredible. Yeah, and also just just uh, sticking with the captaincy, I do want to pick your brain a little bit on uh, Arsenal's captaincy situation at the minute. Um, there's been a, a clip going around on social media, uh, you know, following the Chelsea victory, where uh, Mo takes off the armband and puts it on uh, Odegaard's arm. So you know, I guess foretelling us, fore- foreshadowing the next Arsenal captain. Um, which looks like will be Martin Odegaard. Um, it seems like, you know, the traditional profile of a captain has slightly changed a little bit. And uh, I don't know about everyone else, but me, I'm a little bit confused now as to what uh, we should expect from a captain. So maybe, um, you know, give us your opinion a little bit about uh, this decision from Arteta to, to give Odegaard the captaincy. Um, there are a number of factors that, you know, you could use uh, to argue against giving him the captaincy. But then there are also another, uh, you know, a number of qualities that he's got that, um, you know, promotes uh, him to, 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 to be given the captaincy. I think for myself, the role of captaincy has changed so much over my lifetime. Um, the best example I could give is uh, when I grew up, we had two really vital players in Steven Gerrard and Jamie Carragher, who were both captains on the pitch. Mm. Both played very different roles within that. In the Gerrard, was, in spite of his all-action reputation, he was quite quiet as a captain. He didn't really say a lot. He did a lot. And whereas Carragher was the opposite, he did, he talked loads. And and I think what's happened in the modern game now is that there are so many captains in and around everywhere because of internationals and and, and the roles that people play within the squad. I think Ramsdale is a, is a huge character within this Arsenal squad. And, uh, and like, I would always... And maybe this is just me being a little bit naive. I would defer to the manager with being in and around the players day in and day out. And if that's the way he wants to go, then I personally don't know enough about Odegaard to suggest necessarily positive reasons. But like, if that's the way the manager wants to go, then you kind of have to just go, okay, he's the one that's seeing it the most. And he, like, Jordan Henderson isn't exactly the most all out here, there and everywhere. But we rely, I think, and then again, you look at the personalities that Arsenal have at the moment. It's not necessarily a one-man job. It's what they can do 
for the squads as a whole across games. And especially when you're going to play like a scratch squad in maybe European Football League Cup, you know, the, the amount of fixtures that are coming and going, just the fact that you have a club captain doesn't necessarily mean as much as it used to. Hmm. Yeah, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. I would actually agree with that because you seem like there's multiple captains now. You seem like Unai Emery had a captain's list. He had a, a group and he always used to say that we have captains in our group and these this is what you... Uh, they, these are our captains. But normally you'd only have one. Now you, ha- you see, it, it seems like multi- multiple teams have multiple captains for different things. But I'm, I'm all for... The Odegaard captaincy, I think Odegaard just brings absolute class. I, uh, I, yeah, you know, I think to to captain Norway at such a young age as well, and to be around the likes of Erling Haaland, who's young as well, but um, he's he has uh, definitely established himself. I think he scored ten minutes into his Manchester City debut, so he's going to be fun this season. Um, yeah, so I think Odegaard, if the, I. I if it's going to be Odegaard, I need we need. I think we need to we need them to announce it officially, um, because I'm waiting for that announcement. Um, I think in terms of uh, vice captains, I think it will be Ramsdale mm. to be fair, or, or maybe Tierney. But I don't think I don't think Tierney's going to play that much this season. To be fair, I yeah. Think, I mean, it's, it looks like that. Yeah. Fill that void now. Well, I mean, it's obviously it's going to be a long season and uh, a lot can happen, but um, it's going to raise... If there's one thing that we know for, for, for certainty is that it's going to raise both of their games. Tierney, yeah, exactly. when he stays fit, he's going to be, you know, chomping at the bits to be playing regularly and Zinchenko is going to want to prove himself. Um, Monty, what about... I mean, we've spoken about this uh, particular um, topic at length a few episodes ago, but just, you know, give us your um, thoughts on on the Odegaard captaincy and whether, um, you know, he's going to be able to live up to that expectation because despite, you know, the the, the, the watering down of that role, um, it's there's still lots of responsibilities, you know, behind the scenes that we don't get to see. As a captain, you are the the voice that the media hears you're, you're there at the press conferences you're there with you know to, to to meet with fans and to you know take on other duties is he going to be able to fulfill those duties whilst also living up to uh, our expectations of him as a player on the pitch as well in in short yeah um and and it's, it's true like i mean the the role of captain has changed over the years but not not dramatically so I think now it's just it's become more of a case of and I mean I come from American football I play I played American football and I've always said a captain should be like a quarterback they should know what the game plan is what everyone is doing what's everyone's job and they should be the voice the mouthpiece of the coach of the manager the manager goes to him I need plan b to happen plan z plan what it doesn't matter then he should know what it is and he then directs them that is what Erdegaard is. I mean, he he is he is a ten. So, just just stylistically as a profile, he he has to look beyond. Uh, just as a player, you have to do that as a ten. So he knows where everyone sort of is. Um, he's clearly had uh, sort of experience doing it with Norway. He's done it for a long time. Um, and I mean, even Mohamed Elneny after the end of the game because he got subbed off uh, against Chelsea at the end of the game when they were collecting the cup, he he went back up to me and he gave him back his armband and said, oh, that's for you, Cap. I mean, and he's obviously got the respect of of all of the team. 
Um, and that's evident just because of his class, uh, the way that he plays. He can see things that just other people can't. And he leads by example. And and that is, in a sense, what a, a quarterback does in um, in American football. I mean, if, if, if a quarterback has a bad game, the whole team plays bad. So it... it, it is a very, very important position. Um, and I do think Erdegaard has the qualities. Out of everyone else, I think he has the qualities. I think the days of the the, the captain that would run up to you and shower you is not dated. It's it it's just it's for a different system. Um and I think now we're more sort of tactical tactically savvy. So we need a more of a, an astute sort of uh captain who can actually break down what needs to be done and can see the holes and can actively work on things mid-game. I mean, some of the things, Arteta won't be able to see some things because he can only see it from the side of a pitch. Whereas Erdegaard mid-game needs to be going, look, 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 get back. And you see him, you see him uh, in the Chelsea game. He, he would literally say to players like, come down, come down, come down, come down. And yeah, in a nutshell, I think he's the most qualified person to be to be a captain for our team, to be honest. Um, and do I think he can... He can take all that pressure absolutely I mean he's done it before he went to Real Madrid at what 15 16 years old he handled that well went on loan then he became Norway's youngest uh, ever international then he became their captain and you've got you've got um, like Haaland on his team like, who's who's just a naturally it's just a monster like as a personality he's a monster but yet he's a captain over him and Haaland absolutely adores him that mm. that itself should show you the quality. Mm. I, I don't I don't think I, I think if anyone needs convincing, I, I just don't think you, you you know what you're talking about, to be honest. Yeah, and also I think it it links back to um or it links to just the way the world has been moving, society's been progressing. I think nowadays it's a lot more about just getting on like your ability to just get on with people uh, your likability rather than how macho you are do you know what I mean like Odegaard has that likability about him you know he's approachable you know you can um, you can you can just open up to him because he just he just seems very very down to earth um, whereas you know captains in the past and you know I hate to mention these names but you know players like William Gallas for instance who you know big massive controversial figure but um, I don't know if I could if I would draw the same kind of uh, uh, comparisons um, you've got to know what, what makes people tick you know what yeah. I mean like mm. some some people are very shy and, and they're very in their own thing and sometimes they just need a, a sort of a little word to be like you're right mate like uh, are you good you know what I mean like a quick just sort of a, a little crash and then some people need a bit more like oomph they need a bit like let's go like they need a bit mm. of pumping mm. up and it's all about judging those characters and you need a media and that's I mean I was a, I was a quarterback for eight years and I had to do that all the time I remember my my O-line I used to I used to used to do a deal with them and I said if I don't get sacked this game I'll buy you all food mm. and I'd literally and they're all quite big boys so they, they, they were more than happy to oblige and you could see the sigh like from the team if they ever let a sack go through and my wide receivers are a bit more uh, what's the word for it because I mean they're skill positions so they're a bit more like egotistic so you have to feed that you're like let's go bro like it's all about building and, and who you're talking to so um, and it's like you said they've got to be likable you've got to be approachable you've got to be able to welcome people to the team and, and introduce them and some people will just work differently and you need to be able to do that on the go so like if you know I mean like one of your defenders is quite takes things quite personal. You can't berate him on the game, but you need to be like, look, like you, you, you could have done this a little bit better. Try to do that next time. 
work bribed and go, why did you screw up? Da, da, da. Where some people, they need that to wake up. So it's about balancing how people work. Because like you said, society has just changed now. You need to really mm-hmm. be cautious about how people work and maybe to get the best out of them at the end of the day. Mm. Um, Stuart, just uh, moving on to um, something else I wanted to talk about, which is uh, fullbacks. And, you know, you of all fans will know the significance and the difference, uh, you know, a, a an adequate pair of fullbacks can make. Uh, I'd argue that, you know, Robertson and Trent were two of the most important individuals uh, in that, you know, wonderful season for you when you won the league um, and and Arsenal are seemingly um, trying to build that calibre um, and you know last season it did seem like we had something there with uh, Tierney and Tomiyasu since then um, because of injury problems especially to someone like Tomiyasu um, and this injury problem does seem to it's, it's, begin, it's beginning to scare me a little bit and I think the severity of it is just uh, increasing day by day uh, where we're we're barely seeing him. He's not going to have a preseason training. Sorry, he's not going to have a proper preseason. He's only getting back to training, you know, well, I think a few weeks ago we heard he was coming back to training and then the same injury problem started to uh, reoccur. Um, how worried do Arsenal fans need to be right now with you know injuries to Tomiyasu and I guess less so to Tierney because we filled that hole with Zinchenko? But do Arsenal need to maybe look at that problem and take it a little bit more seriously? I think the way that fullbacks, and we're talking about evolutions of captaincy, this is obviously one of the biggest changes that have been in Premier League history, what has happened to the fellas that are either side of your centre-halves and their responsibilities as time has moved on. And um, at the highest level, they can now control the game because a lot of teams will secede possession to them because it's really hard when you get the ball just outside the halfway line and everyone's behind the ball to create a chance. But what you can do with that is you can run the midfield a lot more, maybe not better, but differently. And um, one of the things I find really interesting is, obviously, Zinchenko's move from Manchester to Arsenal and this question mark about whether he's going to play wide or in his more... I wouldn't say natural position because obviously he's played for Manchester City so long at left back, but him and his potential moving into midfield. And then you read, oh, well, Arsenal have, you know, like they've got quite a good set of midfielders anyway. So it's, it's an abundance of choice. And I think what is going to have to happen is there may be some sort of, I don't know, um, like halfway house before everyone can get fit and get firing for Arsenal in terms of um, we're not, we're going to let these teams give us the ball in those areas. And we might not be as effective as we could be at the very peak, but you can still work on things that when you do get everyone fit and firing that can really cause problems. Mm. Um, and, and again, Monty, you know, we saw the consequences of not having uh, a, a fully functioning fullback pair, pairing uh, last season, you know, Cedric did you know, okay to some part. Tavaj was the main issue really. Um, but going into next season, how important is it to make sure that we get it right? Whether it is, whether we stick with, you know, Cedric at right back and hope that Tommy Anderson comes back and doesn't 
continue to just uh, relapse into this weird sort of injury um I'm, what, what do the club too- need to do I'm not really uh, too fussed about it. I mean, just because uh, I don't know if you saw how Ben White played at right back the other day, but mm. absolutely phenomenal. And he did that also against Chelsea last season when we won 4-2. Um, and now that we've got Saliba, we don't rely on Mari or Holding to step in. We can have Saliba and Gabriel at centre-back and White can step in for Tommy Asun. Cedric could be a sub mm. if he gets tired. Um, and I think, I think to be fair as well, not to be harsh to Cedric because he has actually been all right uh, in the last couple of months and he seems a lot more um, sort of applied to to the role. So I'm not actually too worried about it. And I think the main thing for me was left back because the drop off from Tierney to Tavares is absolutely monumental. It's huge. Mm. Um, just because I personally have always seen Nuno as a left wing rather than a, than a fullback personally. Um but we needed to cover that and I think that's fine because we've got Tommy Asu, Ben White can step in at right back uh, and then we also have um, Saliba and Gabriel and Holding as well who can come in and we've seen him, he can do a job. Um, so I'm not actually I'm not actually too concerned. Um, if anything, I would like another centre-back uh, out of really? any of the other, out the other, yeah, I would like another centre-back, a left-sided centre-back because I don't trust Mari. I, I wouldn't even trust him to turn a tap on. Um, I just, I honestly, honestly, he's just not the guy. Um, and I would love, I'd love, I might, there's no like links, but I would love if we got Facundo Medina, um, from Lens cause he's an absolute still. Um, and I think, yeah, I think that's what we need more than anything because we've got Gabriel White that that's, they're a good partnership, right? Now we just need another good partnership with Saliba and we could say, go to the, a league game on the weekend with Gabriel White, and we can go to two t- two cup games with with uh, Saliba, and we can just rotate in, um, which which will also allow. I mean, if you need to, you can also have, like I said, you could have that Saliba partnership, but then White at right back if Tommy Asu's injured. And yeah, honestly, I'm not too fast. I'm not too fast from fullbacks. I think from last season we I we identified that left back was actually more troublesome than Cedric Suarez. I mean, Cedric wasn't. It wasn't great. It wasn't amazing. It wasn't gonna do like change a game, but he he was okay. Um, but like yeah, when Tavares actually cost us games, so that was the one that they highlighted and identified and filled in. And then look, I, I, I'm not too worried about. It. And we saw the fluidity of the team itself. We can switch to back three with ease. Mm. Um, so it's there's a lot more. For to us now uh, to be able to cater for those shortcomings, mm. um, but if we were to say like have three four injuries like Liverpool did two years ago, when their their whole back line got wiped out, then that then that would be a serious concern. Um, but that that was just sort of that was just extremely unlucky, extremely unlucky. Um, but anything can happen. But I'm not I'm not actually too concerned. I'm more concerned about the midfield at the moment. Yeah. Uh, James, do you agree with Monty there that um, we don't need to really yeah, worry about really... the fullback situation in the minute? Um, you know, we've got a, an abundance of players who can fill in. Um, yeah. What do you think about this uh, Tomiyasu issue? Yeah, I think um, we have Tierney. We just bought Zinchenko for a lot of money considering he's, he's only kind of an understudy to... Um, the the Man City the Man City fullbacks that are in their first team thirty five million pounds but um, there is a name that comes to my mind if we were ever to go for for a right back and that would be I think Tariq uh, Tariq Lamptey from Brighton I think that's the that's the player that I would I would go with 
um, purely because these, we've been linked before and it wouldn't cost too much to game, I don't think. Um, and Brighton are always looking to cash in uh, their players so they can then spend it elsewhere. Um, but I agree with Monty. We don't, we don't, it's not a priority. I think the priority, again, is, is midfield. I'd love to see, before the window, I'd love to see Yuri Tiedemann's Signed, sealed, and delivered. I'm not going to change my mind on that. I think Yuri Tielemans is fantastic. I know we've been linked with Arsa from Juventus again in a swap deal with Torreira. I'd take that, to be fair. Um, but I, my my main one is uh, Tielemans, and I hope he is here by the end of the deadline. But apparently, uh, any signings from now depend on outgoing. So um, yeah. we better get some te- we better get some players out before we can get some players in. Stuart, uh, how how um... Tell me how you're feeling about your team uh, going into the season because um, Liverpool have had, um, I don't know, I mean, from from an outsider, uh, I think they've had a bit of a strange window. How do, how do you see it sort of um, going? I mean, how are you feeling for the first game of the season? Well, this is, do you mean the Community Shield? Or do you mean Fulham away? There's two different, two very different prospects. Um, uh, I go think, to Community Shield, it's silver. Yeah. Go to Community Shield. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm fully well aware and anticipating that whoever wins, they're going to go on to conquer everything and they're the best team in the world. And whoever loses, their manager needs to go and they are the worst team in the world. So Really? Yeah. Um, we... I, I fully expect us to just do what we do. And um, this is one thing I would caveat that with is the way this season is structured. Mm. Um, I don't see a side finishing above one of Liverpool, Man City. It'll be one and two, but in what order, you know, that's up to the games that are played. But what is there open after that is chaos because of the World Cup. And I do have one eye on, and Manchester City could say the same thing with Erling Haaland, but Salah's not going to the World Cup and Diaz isn't going to the World Cup. Mm, So we could go really in with a particular setup up until then and then unleash some freshness afterwards. Whereas I don't know, and obviously Manchester City could say the same about Haaland, but... Um, it's all the Champions League games. Basically, everyone's going to be playing Wednesday, Sunday for six months. Um, all the teams that are in Europe, it's going to be a mess. And then you get to where you get to after the World Cup. The certain players and certain national sides are going to go home early. I don't think there's a particularly big contingent in, in either our dressing room or City's dressing room that would lean one way or the other. There could be an injury. There's, there's so much there. The one thing I would say, and I was insistent on this last year that I didn't think a side would break 90 points last year because of the way it started. And both us and City did. And I would be very, very surprised if a side broke 90 points this year, mm. just because of the sheer amount of games. And and we saw, um, I think, at certain points between both Liverpool and Man City that, um, you know, you can get caught out. And, and the Premier League is the Premier League for a reason. And... The way and the, the marker that has been put down by both of these two sides, I don't think we will fully grasp for a couple of years yet because the 97 points, the 100 points, the if you lose or draw one game, your season's over. It's it's horrible, breathless football. It, it's Do you know what? I had the most fun last year, but it's, it's pressure from game number one. You cannot drop a single point. And hmm. if, we, if we do really well again, 
and don't get over the line, great. I just want to see my team play football and the football we're playing is probably the best I'll ever see. I mentioned at the top, yeah. I'm trying really hard not to get stuck in the, oh, we need trophies. We need, I'd love, I'd, don't get me wrong. I'd love all of them, all of them all the time. Mm. But I don't want to get too, I, I, I'm going to remember last, everyone talks about, oh, were you really disappointed about only finishing with the League Cup and uh, the FA Cup? And it's like, that's a slap in the face to like most football fans. Mm. If I, if I yeah, were to say that, that's disgraceful. Because week in and week out, I was watching this team play out of this world stuff, and um, the like. Trent is going to come on again and probably miss out on the World Cup because Gareth Southgate doesn't like him. And fair play to him, but like the, I want to see what happens with Cater. I want to see if he can actually step up again, like Thiago and. Um, Fabinho, can they continue? And, and that midfield is just sumptuous. And Diaz has had a, a bit of time to bed in as well, so I'm expecting him to step up a level. And this is with even out-touching Mo Salah, who could, if he scores 30 goals in all competitions this year, overtake Steven Gerrard and Kenny Dalglish in the all-time Liverpool rankings. Mm. And that's sensational. He's the best goal scorer I'll ever see. So I, I am blessed. Whatever happens, I am blessed. Yeah, and and just just sticking on that actually very quickly. Um, what it, say Arsenal go on to sign a centre midfielder, uh, of the the ilks of you know Yuri Tillemans and um one of a signing a winger, um maybe you know a, a right winger. Where do you see Arsenal finishing next season? I'll say this, and I think this is this might sound like either a cop out or that I'm um slagging Arsenal off too much, but it's somewhere in the middle of those two things. Um, Chelsea are the anomaly in this. I don't know. And it, I've written off them and they do, they do this really weird thing where they go from like third, looking like they're about to break into the top two and then they're like the worst team out of the top six mm. and they go here, there and everywhere. So I'm going to leave them off the table slightly. And what I will say is I said Man City top two. That means there's um, at the very least a three-team race for two places, which is um, Spurs, Man United, those fours. Uh, Spurs, Man United, Arsenal and Chelsea. I can see a scenario where Arsenal in, and I, I do really like the squad you've got actually, where in March or February, you're either one or two points off the uh, outside of the top four or you're in the top four and you've got to go and get a couple of results. Mm. And that's whether you do or whether you don't is a coin flip for me right now. Mm, interesting. And before you know, Monty and James, you chip in. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you boys to just stay quiet for the time being because next week we will be giving our predictions for the upcoming season. Um, so we're gonna hold back just for now. But it was just interesting um, to hear Stuart, obviously from a from a an, an, a rival fan's perspective, I guess you could say. Um, but just very quickly, we you know we're, we're coming to the end of the show now, and you know there's always so much on the list that I want to talk about. Don't ever get the time, uh, but it's okay. Uh, we 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 can leave that on for next week. Just uh, finally. Um, as James mentioned, Edu did have a number of different interviews actually this week and, you know, obviously pre-planned. Um, but something that he did mention was, or something he was asked was whether we can expect new signings. And, and he basically said, you know, anything can happen. Um, where They're very open to anything, you know, virtually any scenario, they are prepared for it. And that was very striking for me when he said they are open and they are ready for any scenario because opportunities can happen. Um, and uh, with that, I will ask Monty, 
what do you expect Arsenal to do for the remainder of the um, window? But, uh, you know, not 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 talking about the outgoings, more um, signings. Do you expect Arsenal to be signing anyone else? If so, what yeah. position um, do? No, I do. I expect. Um, I actually expect a uh, centre mid. I think the right wing, um, depending on the Pepe situation, I think mm. there's going to be some internal discussions there. Um, I think that's the least likely. I think it's going to be a potential centre back and a centre mid um, will be the positions because we're going to have a lot of outgoings um, in sort of um, Ainsley Maitland-Niles, Hector Bellerin, Leno, Mari, um, and you've got. Um, I mean, Nelson, Nelson maybe. Like yeah. You no, know, he looks like he's going to stay. To be okay. honest, I think he's going to get another chance. Uh, Pepe might might be going, but again, we need to see because I wouldn't even be too akin if 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 Pepe. And the one thing I've always thought about Pepe is he 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 never suited our system, but if he actually applied himself properly to our mm. system and actually did, I think he could be a really good player. Um, and I would kind of like to get some money's worth out of him. And even if he like has a really good, a decent season with us, gets like 15 goals and had a couple of assists or whatever, mm. we could sell him on because people would be like, I don't know what, there is a good player there. Um, so I, I'm, yeah, I think it's going to be maybe, two, I think it's going to be one or two incomings uh, and maybe about five outgoings um, go, going forward. And then we've got the Leno, Leno talks are going to be, they're pretty much done. Yeah. Torreira was in Italy the other day. William William Saliba's contract, his agents in London, uh, eating at Nobu in Portman, Portman Street. Um, Bakaya Saka, I mean, uh, they, Edu literally said in his interview with The Athletic that the talks are going very well. Um, and let me actually, because I actually quoted it earlier, and I'll, I'll tell you what he said, because people were like, okay, but why... Why is it taking long to do that? And I'll read you the exact quote if I can find it. Um, here we go. So, yeah, Eddie was asked about the apparent delay of finance. And it still says it's normal. We're going to sit and speak about our expectations and his, his family and his agent's expectations and put everything together. The main thing is how he feels and how, and how he feels comfortable with us. He's happy. We're happy. So it's just sit down, find a solution. Um, and, and, and that is effectively what's going to happen. And that's effective. I think that's a sign in itself um, mm. as well. So yeah, and I, I'm, I think it's going to be an interesting season. Um, and I, can I put out one bold prediction? Yeah. I reckon, um, obviously City Liverpool have dominated the last couple of years, dominated. They were in their own pipe dream land with like 97, 95 points was kind of stuff. I reckon the winner of the Premier League will get about 90 points because of the, the, the sheer quality that a lot of the teams underneath are adding. So I think there'll be a lot more losses uh, from City and Liverpool mm. than than in recent seasons. And I mean, you just look at West Ham, they're doing mm. they're actually doing bits in this, the window. Newcastle looks pretty good uh, and they're, they're getting some people coming in. Aston Villa did some very early business. So they've had an entire pre-season together. So... I think it's going to be a, it's going to be a very competitive year uh, next year. Do you know what? Can I give uh, my my little own prediction? This Go is on. going to be very very bold, controversial. Might raise some eyebrows, um, but I think next season Premier League winners will be um, someone other than a, a club other than Liverpool and um, City. Oh, I, th- I think another I think another club will win it. Yeah. Are we going to are we going to find out next week? Um, <laughs> 
Oh, Maybe. <laughs> no, I, no, 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 no. Yeah, for a minute, I know. I'm sure everyone was thinking the same thing. No, I think that's I'm a bit far. Right right yeah. <laughs> but no, I, I just, just because of just the, 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 con- the context of you know how the Premier League is going to be played next season, the winter break, the sheer number of games, also the squad balance of cities and Liverpool's at the minute, very different to how they looked last season. A number of high-profile players leaving um, both camps, you know, Mane for one, and then you've got, you know, Zinchenko, Jesus um, in the other. And, you know, I know they don't... Uh, and Sterling. It, yeah, and Sterling as well. And, and, and I know in City's case, that's not a massive blow to them, but in terms of depth, it, it shows a lot for it. And it's going to be interesting to see how they both manage their squads going into next season. And I think the mentality of all Premier League clubs is going to be very, very different because of that winter break. They are going to, and also the five substitutes. We haven't even mentioned that. So a number of different things happening next season. Um, it, I think all of those things will play, you know, some form some way or another it will impact clubs and I think the domination of City and Liverpool will be halted for that season I think we're in for a real cracker can season. I make a bold transfer prediction go for it yeah it might not be as bold it might not be but I'm seeing I'm seeing it gain more and more traction here I, I can see a signing Jared Bowen at the end of this window wow it's quite a big one as much as people don't like it, as much as Arsenal fans don't like him and they think they think he's rubbish, I, I can just I'm seeing I'm seeing his name mentioned a lot more. I would have said yeah. Zaha, but now I'm thinking Jared Bowen. Um, if, if, if Arteta generally thinks he's the guy for the club and his talent ID is spot on, I'm back it. I'll back any player that they think is right. Mm-hmm. But as I said, as I said to you in the group chat a few weeks ago, I'd love Vinicius Junior. To keep that Brazilian connection, Jesus. But, but yeah. I'm not going to get that. I'm not going to get that. Just keep those links for the dreams. All right, look, I think I'm going to leave it there for now. Um, again, there was a number of things that I did want to touch on. I mean, we did kind of touch on them, like Pepe and Leno and just, I think, assessing the squad as well. But that's something I guess we could do next week. Um, look, this is it. This is episode 99. I cannot believe we've managed to come this far, um, especially from like mine and James's view um where we've we've seen you know where uh, where where we how started how far we've come, how far we've come. I mean, wow it's crazy and that um, game against liverpool that game against actually it was a, it was actually the game against liverpool i started the podcast yeah and um i mean i remember the first the the, the trigger to the arsenal therapy podcast what was that burnley defeat and you know they're no longer the premier league thank god <laughs> but those burnley defeats you know continue to haunt me to this day uh, but yeah look it's been one hell of a journey i want to say a massive thank you to everybody who's been listening who's been connecting with us i want to say a massive thank you to um james and monty for 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 jumping on uh, board and um you know taking on this responsibility of being your therapists week in, week out. I want to say a massive thank you to all the guests that have been joining me. We've been privileged to have a number of um, bloggers, writers, um, you know, influencers in this field. And also a massive thank you to Stuart. And Stuart, I'll give you this moment to let the people know where they can find your book because it is one that has piqued my interest from having this conversation with you. Um, and the Cornerstone collection certainly seems like a promising read. So um, once again, give us the lowdown on what to expect when reading it and where um, our listeners can find your book. 
Well, thank you very much. The Cornerstone Collection is available from all good bookshops, which effectively means you just type in um, the Cornerstone Collection on Google and see where you can get it from. Um, the link is also available from um, my Twitter, which is at SQ Studios. Um, you can read the fully, the best, the most comprehensive collection of players and, and stories that there have been within the Premier League because it covers every club that's ever been, all 50 different clubs over the course of the last 30 years of Premier League history. I'm just going to try and pique the listeners' interest with some of the Arsenal players that are in there. Cano, yeah. uh, Fabregas, Saka, Anelka, Patrick Vieira, Sol Campbell, and really rather coincidentally, because I mentioned it at the top of the podcast and you recently just signed him, there is a Zinchenko chapter. Mm. Um, oh. I really I really appreciated yeah, really appreciate the dramatic it. pause for effect. <laughs> that was really nice. Really nice. I was going to count at the top of my head at the time and I was like, have I got all these right? There's probably one I've missed. <laughs> no. I, I, did, you, did you mention Vieira? Well, the thing with, with, with Vieira was that, like, obviously you've got the, the, the unbelievable talent that he was at Arsenal, but like the mm. people forget that like he had that couple of years at Man City during a really interesting period in their history and, and he set them on their way as well. Yeah. So, I mean, look, uh, a, a promising read and there are uh, other players as well, like Wayne Rooney, Dion Dublin, um, Wilfred Boney. I mean, G- Chris Sutton, uh, Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank, Darren Mate, Even Damien Duff. There you go. So, um, Man was, yeah. I remember he was eight and he got a 91 ranking on uh, FIFA Street in 05. I remember oh. that, and I will never forget that he was literally ranked the sixth best player in the game. Yeah, he, he, he was, was a- only, only only Ronaldo, Ronaldinho, Thierry Henry, uh, uh, Deco, and um, Cristiano Ronaldo ranked better. That's mental. Yeah, there was a period of time where Duff was like the most hottest prospect of the world. He's not in this sadly, but like he was such a hot prospect at the time. Yeah, no, he yeah. he would he would often be one of my first signings for Football Manager when he was yeah. playing for Newcastle because um, just unbelievably, just yeah, so talented. Um, but yeah, look, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna end the show now. Um, again, I want to say a massive thank you to everybody who's been listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please do give us a five star review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you thought of this episode by reaching out to us on Twitter at Ask Therapy pod um we'd really appreciate some uh <laughs> feedback about the 99 episodes so if you haven't um if you to listen to them you might as well just go back and you know have a listen to that and uh, no, i'm joking uh, just a few bits and bobs that i want to get out of the way um uh, we did have a giveaway uh earlier this week we gave away the brand new Arsenal away shirt um, and just a massive congrats to at agent Mr. Ron who uh, won that competition so um, and he's he's, don- he's donating it to his son whose birthday is in um, when did he say his birthday was? I think 11 days or something like that um, 12 days time he said 12 days time so nice. um, happy well. birthday to you and son's name is Ruben so he's first 21st so happy birthday to you Ruben we hope that um, that's put a smile on your face also um, we have upcoming giveaways as well. So episode 100 next week, we have got one hell of a lineup. I cannot, I can't, I can't give anything away because, um, you know, I still need to uh, dot the I's, cross the T's, et cetera, et cetera. But you don't want to miss episode 100. It's going to be 
magical. And we have a, a giveaway for that as well. So um, to keep, you know, to, to, to keep up to date with that, just uh, drop us a follow on Twitter. Um, and if you want more from us, we're giving you more. You know, episode 100 doesn't just mean things stay the same. No, we kick it up a notch. We are, um, if you haven't, you know, already noticed, we've been writing a number of different blogs. Um, so you can find those at thearsenaltherapypod.com. There are currently eight out. We have a number of incredible writers um, writing about the Arsenal. The current blog that came out today uh, at the time of recording was about William Saliba from Loney to creating first team rivalry. And that's from uh, written by um, Abby, um, who's one of our really incredible young up and coming writers as well. Um, so give, give that um, a, a read if you want some more. Um, but yeah, I don't think I've missed anything else out. Uh, we will leave it there. Um, you can also don't forget to follow Stuart on Twitter. Uh, as mentioned before, you can find him at SQ Studios. You can find the boys on Twitter as well. Give him a little follow. Give him some appreciation, some love. Um, James at James Payne AFC. Monty at Monty underscore official underscore. And of course, we will be back next week. Same time, same place. Until then, take care of yourselves. Have a lovely week and we'll see you then. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye.